Good morning, folks, and welcome to the Fallon Forum. Ed Fallon, your host here as we broadcast from sunny and mild Des Moines, Iowa. Des Moines, the cultural and culinary crossroads of the universe. Anyway, here we are at Lorena, 1260 AM and 96.5 FM, our home station here in Des Moines. Thanks to the community-owned stations around the country that rebroadcast this program. Later in the show, we're going to be talking with uh, Sheila Canopadole about fighting climate change at the local level. And before we get into our conversation here about the Extinction Rebellion, I want to take a second to thank some of our local business partners. Uh, thanks to Gateway Marketing Cafe at 20th and Woodland. That's my grocery store and a great place for breakfast, lunch, and supper. They've also got an excellent catering service. That's Gateway Market and Cafe. Thanks to Community CPA and Associates. It's tax day, folks. If you haven't got them done yet, now's your chance. That's Community CPA and Associates with offices in Des Moines and Iowa City. Thanks also to Hawk Restaurant located at East 5th and Walnut in the East Village neighborhood. 90% of the food served comes from Iowa farms and Iowa producers. Also, thanks to Diversity Insurance located at 1541 East Grand in Des Moines. All your insurance needs under one roof. No appointment needed. And finally, thanks to Bold Iowa, building urban and rural coalitions to fight climate change and to push back against the Dakota Access Pipeline. All right, again, welcome to the show. I'm delighted to have... Attorney Channing Dutton in the studio with me this morning. Uh, Channing, welcome to the show. Hi, Ed. Good morning. Yeah. Hey, so um, big stuff happening right now and over the weekend as we speak. Uh, the uh, the newest craze from England. I know this is not a this is not a rock band uh, in the in the make of the Beatles. The newest craze from England is the Extinction Rebellion, which is a um a, a, a kind of an upstart uh, civil disobedience focused effort to. Mobilize people to fight for climate action by demobilizing, by, 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 by basically shutting down streets, bridges, government agencies. And now they're talking about this, um, uh, this rebellion coming to the U.S. What do you think of it, about this approach? Well, Ed, uh, you and I have, have uh, been on the front edge in central Iowa of this issue for some time. And one of the things that is shockingly apparent is that we're making no progress. Our pol- our political leaders are uh, tepid. They are unwilling to move. Um, they are uh, uh, sitting back. They're watching all the glitter show go by that our president puts before them. Um, they are failing in their duties to protect the climate future. And so uh, this new movement, which currently carries the label Extinction Rebellion, but we've seen various names, um, you know, for this movement, including the great uh, March for Climate Action that you spearheaded. Right. Um, no. You know, we've seen this coming, and this is the latest and and certainly one of the more aggressive approaches, and it's high time that we do this. So would you say nothing's being done? You're referring to the political leadership uh, but, I, I mean, at the grassroots level, more and more action is happening. And I think it looks to me like people are getting fed up to the point where because our policymakers are doing nothing, uh, they're taking to the streets in record numbers uh, with uh, increasingly edgy actions, um, uh, you know, a growing, a growing lack of um, concern for the risk of arrest and what might happen in that whole scenario. It, it, you know, I, so I'm not sure. Maybe you would agree, too, that it's not that nothing's happening. It's just that um, while more and more might be happening at the grassroots level, it's our leadership that is failing and failing and dismally uh, and, and pretty consistently for the last you know, 10 years. I mean, very little has happened. Even, even during the Obama administration— Really, did we see much of any substance coming out of that, of eight years of Democratic leadership in the White House? It's a scandal for the future, what did not happen during the Obama administration. And let me push back, Ed. You know, I I stand by nothing is happening. You know, if we look uh, into West Des Moines, where my law firm is located and where I live, zero, zilch, nothing is going on that is effective. If we look into a broader spectrum, the city of Des Moines, you know, we have an ally in Frank County, and we have Josh Mandelbaum but on city council and city government. But I would grade their efforts so far as maybe F plus. Nothing, <laughs> effective, plus. nothing effective is happening. Yeah. And, and with nothing happening, this is where these movements of people who are so frustrated, they don't want to go to city council anymore. They want to be heard. They want to be heard right now. 
because time is running out. Folks, uh, talking to Channing Dutton here on today's Fallon Forum about the Extinction Rebellion and the growing uh, edginess and urgency of the grassroots in the whole struggle to push back against climate change. If you'd like to join the conversation, give us a call at 515-528-8122. That's 528-8122. So, you know, later in the program, we're going to be talking with... uh, grassroots folks here in Des Moines who are pushing hard to get the city of Des Moines to mobilize to fight climate change. But around the country, you know, I wouldn't say, again, I wouldn't say nothing's happening. There is stuff happening around the country, uh, more aggressively in, in a lot of different communities. But Well, you are perhaps on this topic more optimistic than I am, and I don't fault the the local efforts. The local efforts are a way that people can get off their rear end and get on their feet and try to make something happen. But it is scandalous that here in Des Moines, with our allies who are already holding power, that our local groups have had so much trouble. Do you think it would be an easier sell, in other words? It's got to be an easier sell. We we no longer have the time to study and to uh, enact a commission and to uh, fundraise for an engineer to tell us that we are in trouble in the climate future. We we understand that we're in trouble. And this this climate um, uh, rebellion, climate extinction movement, but uh, Greta Thunberg from uh, Sweden, right. she's a part of this. There's there's many different faces of this, uh, I'll call it the dice, you know, many, many different sides, but the current one calling for shutting down roads, disrupting uh, communities, dip, disrupting cities or state government, this has got to be an essential feature as we go forward, because I am worried that our leadership from the top, really all the way down to the bottom, down to the dog catcher. I am concerned that our leadership is, they've got their head in the sand and they're whistling a happy tune as they walk through a dark alley. So just to read you a, a, a paragraph from the Guardian story about the most recent extinction, uh, extinction Rebellion action in the uh, in Britain, in, in London, uh, reading here, it says, In the UK, Extinction Rebellion members have caused uproar by halting traffic on bridges in central London, stripping naked in Parliament, and blocking the BBC. Last week, protesters glued themselves to the entrance of a fracking conference. And, okay, so that's from the article by The Guardian, again, leading British newspaper, uh, describing the, uh, the tactics and strategies of the Extinction Rebellion. Halting traffic on bridges, stripping naked in front of in Parliament, <laughs> blockading the BBC, and we tend to think of the BBC as a fairly liberal news outlet, but they blockaded the BBC because apparently they're not doing enough to cover climate change, and again last week actually gluing themselves to the entrance of a fracking conference. Those tactics, uh, yeah, I'm not sure how they're being received in Britain. The Guardian is, of course. The Guardian is, is one of the few mainstream media outlets that actually gets climate change to the point where they are covering it daily. Agreed. But are those tactics – again, I'm not sure how those tactics are being play, are being received by the British you know, population at large. But this is what's coming to the U.S. Is this going to help or hurt? It's, it's got to help. And the reason it's got to help is that our time for action is, is so is so short. Okay. Uh, you know, your audience can't see it, Ed, but I'm showing you the pink boat that is in Oxford Circus um, in London right now. And so they've taken this pink sailboat and uh, they, they're blocking the intersections with it. And it yeah. says, tell the truth on the hull of the boat. And the idea is we can knock on and, and act politely with especially established government or, or community organizations. But this this pattern of conduct is going to doom us if we keep just getting off our seats and joining committees and joining clubs and worrying about the future. We got to we got to act and we got to act on the streets now. OK, so let's again uh, throw the phone number out there. If you'd like to call and be on the program, it's 515-528-8122. That's 515-528-8122. Uh, let's go to uh, Jeff from Indianola. Hello, Jeff. Welcome to the program. Hi, Ed. What are your thoughts? Extinction Rebellion. Good, bad, indifferent. 
I think it's good. I've been involved with the civil disobedience from way back in the anti-war movement of the 60s, and then I, more recently with the Keystone Pledge of Resistance and all. But the one thing I'm, I'm not sure about is what the goal is. Um, obviously, you know, our current political system is not responsive, but uh, my, what I'm wondering about is I, I'm thinking also of the Sunrise Movement and, and the kids trying to get a Green New Deal going um, using civil disobedience. So their intent is to work within the system, whereas I'm not sure what will happen with things like the Extinction Rebellion. Things might kind of get more attention, but I don't know if that will be as, as effective as a political tool. Yeah, thank you, Jeff. That's a good observation. Um, let's chew on that a little bit, um, a little bit, uh, Channing. So Jeff's point that the, uh, the Sunrise Movement is uh, focused on I mean, civil disobedience, but with an, the intent of of getting Congress to take action on specifically the Green New Deal. The Extinction Rebellion seems to be going beyond that, with even more uh, theatrical and aggressive tactics of civil disobedience, but without a specific, uh, you know, political agenda. I mean, is is that is that a fair observation? Well, yes, and and you know, as the caller pointed out in the '60s in the anti-war movement. You know, it's easy to say uh, we want to end the war. Well, how will we end the war? What would the policy be? How does the negotiation go? These issues all had to remain unknown during the active protest period. And what what uh, Greta is doing and what uh, Sunrise Movement is doing is they are applying public pressure. You know, and what's the definition of a politician? You know, my my favorite one is a politician gets up in the morning and as they're getting dressed, they look out the window at the street below. And if they see a parade forming in the street, they hurry up and get their pants on so they can get out there and lead the parade. Well, you know, this is this is what extension or extinction rebellion is is asking people to do. Get out there and let's make it uncomfortable to just look the other way. You know, this is you know, we're in a period of climate gawking. People see what's going on. They know their duty. They know what they should be doing, but they just sit silent and they turn and look the other way. Okay, we're going to take a short break here, folks, uh, talking with Channing Dutton about the Extinction Rebellion and the growing uh, growing amount of civil disobedience that is is coming to the surface as we fight the uh, as we see the fight against climate change escalating. We'll be back in a few minutes to talk more about that with Channing Dutton. If you'd like to join the conversation again, 515-528-8122. Gateway Marketing Cafe is your locally owned source for specialty groceries. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, specialty cheeses, and hand-selected wines and craft beer. Visit the Lively Cafe for breakfast, lunch, and dinner seven days a week. Gateway Market is centrally located on the corner of Martin Luther King Jr. Parkway and Woodland Avenue. Stop by or visit www.gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market. Good food. Great community. For all your accounting needs, both business and personal, contact Ying Sa at Community CPA with offices in Des Moines and Iowa City. It seems that tax law changes every year. You want an accountant who's up to speed on the latest twists and turns, someone who can help make sure your tax return is filed accurately, in a timely manner, and properly, so you don't end up paying any more than you need to pay. So give Ying Sa, the founder of Community CPA, a call at 515-288-3188. That's 515-288-3188. Across the Des Moines metro, Ritual Cafe is known for its excellent fair trade coffee and fair trade tea. Ritual Cafe also serves breakfast and lunch and offers an entirely vegetarian menu. This unique venue is also known for its live music and displays of local artwork on the walls. Located on 13th Street between Locust and Grand in downtown Des Moines, Ritual Cafe is open six days a week. Make Ritual Cafe a daily part of your ritual. Times are tough, and most people are just trying to make their cars last a little bit longer. That's why you should know about Sargent's Garage in Des Moines. You can trust Sargent's to make the right diagnosis and give you a fair price every time. Whether it's a routine oil change or a major repair, Sargent's always does outstanding work. So don't give up on that old car just yet. Call Sargent's Garage at 515-246-8149. That's 515 515- 
It's important to know where your food comes from. At Hawk Restaurant, that's easy because 90% comes from Iowa farms and Iowa producers. Located at East 5th and Walnut Street, Hawk is open for lunch and supper Monday through Saturday. From May through October, you'll also find Hawk at the Downtown Farmer's Market serving fantastic breakfast wraps with 100% of the ingredients from Iowa, except for the salt and pepper. Learn more at hawktable.com. That's H-O-Q-Table.com. Dr. Kim Holding has over 30 years of experience working with all creatures great and small. Cat, dog, horse, cow, elephant. Well, maybe not an elephant. If you've got a pet elephant, you may be in trouble. Kim's work history is long and deep, and her clients stick with her year after year because they know she will do right by them and their pets and farm animals. So give Dr. Holding a shout to keep your animals happy and healthy. Call 515-232-8766. That's 232-8766. And welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Ed Fallon, your host here. Later in the program, uh, Sheila Canopadole joining us to talk about a local initiative to uh, try to move uh, the city of Des Moines forward on climate action. In the meantime, we're talking about the big picture here with uh, Attorney Channing Dutton. And uh, again, part of my question is, do tactics that resonate in more progressive countries like Great Britain, uh, again, Dressing in bright pink, blocking traffic, um, uh, uh, getting naked in the parliament building. Uh, do, do, those might, do those work here? That's my question. Well, this is a reflection of our media. Um, and the media loves what is uh, glittery. Uh, they like shiny little objects waved in front of their eyes. And so if uh, naked people showing their rear ends in parliament uh, allows for reporting on climate crisis, then we need more naked people in the U.S. Congress. And, and Can I quote you on that? Yes, you may. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and the you know, but but the point is that um, w- one of the complicit actors here in our failure to act is the media and their oh, wi- yeah. and their willingness to ignore the climate story. My ongoing battle with Carol Hunter, the Des Moines Register, it, it, which is a, <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's a worthy battle, and it's a battle yeah. we must win. Carol has to see the light. Yeah. Um, but this this battle, you know, for example, when they talk about blocking the BBC, we need to shut down KCCI for a day. We need to then go to WHO and shut them down for a day. And then we need to go to the register. And we need to, you know, at least the remnants of the register. And we need yeah. to block their entrances and say, you know, you have failed your listeners, viewers, and readers by just reporting tribe. Now, that's a lot of civil disobedience. You're not, you're not just trying to drum up business for the illegal profession, are you? Yeah, you know, um, I'm not trying to drum up business because what's going to happen is the protest movement is going to overwhelm law enforcement. And, and when that happens, then things will really start to change. Well, historically, when that happens is when you start getting government's attention. Correct. And, and, that's, and I think that's, that's what we're seeing in all of these various movements. And again, you know, I talked about a multi-sided dice. And the idea is, you know, put, put whatever name you want on it. We are moving towards a period of aggressive, active civil disobedience. You know, right now, Ed, the news out of the Arctic is just staggeringly right. bad. Yeah. 20 degrees warmer in March than on average for all of Alaska. Greenland melting at four times the rate it was. The Bering Sea is yeah. ice-free earlier now than it ever has been. And without that ice, those waves in the Bering Sea, and with their own cyclone bombs rolling through the Bering Sea, those waves are wreaking havoc in all of the communities mm-hmm. on the western shorelines of Alaska You know, as it adjoins to the Bering Sea. So bottom line is you think the Extinction Rebellion, Sunrise Movement, that they're, they're doing the right thing they're pushing the envelope but it needs to be pushed and if uh, if a million people go to jail uh, that's a good thing it'll overwhelm the system and maybe finally get something done you're exactly right so how does how does uh, how does the work that's happening here in Iowa right now with the presidential campaign I mean we have a, a record number of Democrats running for president and uh, already what over 250 candidate events in Iowa this year alone and 
people aggressively bird dogging the candidates to make climate change their top priority. How does that fit in? Is that, is that also are we beyond where that's important or helpful, uh, or is there still a role for that? in this movement that is becoming increasingly agitated and in the streets. Well, and you bring up bird dogging. And let me say that from sitting from afar, watching what's going on in these campaign events, you and Bold Iowa and your bird dog effort, you guys are doing great things because you are really putting climate in the issue or in the face of these candidates and, and watch for it. Here's what they do. All but one will only respond to climate when you force them to respond. Either the moderator asks a question or somebody in the audience, like, like your uh, climate uh, bird dog, you know, the bird dogs will ask the question, and then they're good. And all the big names are good when they are forced to be good. But this is very troubling because it reminds me of O-B-A-M-A. And that is they are going to follow the Barack Obama mode of great oratory, about the urgency of climate action and how they're passionate. But what will they do day one? Now, you know that right now there's only one choice for people who believe that the climate future is in serious jeopardy, and that's Jay Inslee. Yeah, and I, uh, I suspect that's going to change. I mean, I, again, as the urgency of the, of, of, the, of the crisis grows, as the action in the streets grow, as more and more pressure comes from the grassroots as these candidates campaign in Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina, Nevada, I think we're going to see more and more step forward and say, yeah, you got a good point there. Maybe this should be my top priority. Right. Maybe I'm and, optimistic. And, but. Well, and, and I work on that, and I know you work on that, and, and uh, Sheila, who's going to follow you next, I know she works on that. You know, all of, all of the people who are willing to get off their rear end and start moving, and this is so important because if we, if we allow these candidates to blah, blah, blah for nine talking points before they discuss climate change, that tells you everything you need to know about that candidate. Now, right. I do want to say... You know, one of my conservative Republican friends was quoting Jay Inslee's campaign line, we're the first generation to feel the sting of climate change, and, and we're the last, last to do something yeah. about it. Yep. And, you know, this is... It, that's not a political statement. That's a scientific statement. It's a scientific fact. And 10 years ago, if you and I would have thought, man, there's a serious effort running campaign commercials on TV in Iowa, talking about the urgency of climate action as issue one... We would have been doing backflips. It's taken us 10 years to get Jay Inslee. Um, and now I think the members of your audience who are motivated to act on climate, I think they better take a real serious look before they fall in love with the flavor of the month who has to be prodded to talk about climate action. Right. Well, and, and again, you, you know, harking back to what you said about President Obama, uh, he did talk great no, his words on climate were, were encouraging, were what we needed to hear. But then, I, I mean, I, again, he did he did a few things on climate, wouldn't you say? Agreed. Certain, but, certainly. But, uh, again, we, we're at the point now where incremental changes aren't going to help us. And the other problem with uh, President Obama, not only while he was doing some good things on climate, the, the, the clean power plan, uh, some fuel efficiency standard stuff, um, he was also back. He was also backsliding. Uh, additional drilling out off the coast, uh, you know, and and just just dragging his feet on the Dakota Access Pipeline, you know. Well, so, yeah, and, and and Ed, you know, in this last election cycle, you know, one of the darlings of the climate movement was um, the congressman from uh, the Key West uh, Florida district. Um, of course, now I'm drawing a blank on his name, but but he was a Republican who was inclined to act on climate, and then Debbie Powell. Uh, who was born in Ecuador and is an American citizen, she ran hard and aggressive on climate change as a Democrat. Now, it's a Democrat-leaning district, but here was the essential essence of her campaign. You know, our current congressman, he voted to ban offshore drilling in the Gulf, but he allowed it in Alaska. He voted to have it in Alaska. And so, you know, some of these politicians are starting to see that, you know, if even on the so-called good, but, but I call them delayer, Climate uh, actors, they got to go. They got to go now. And I'm worried that we may have at least two women congressmen in uh, in Iowa who are climate delayers because they don't have the passion that they had when they were campaigning. For well, the third action. Democratic Congress uh, person from Iowa who is emphatically a climate delayer. Uh, is Dave Lopsack. Hey, totally true. Who is retiring. And that's really a great thing. Yeah. Because now we need to work in that district to find a climate activist who will talk climate change first. Doesn't have to blah, blah, blah until they get a question. 
you know, about climate. We need leaders to step up and take that seat. And then we need them to go visit Cindy Axney and and Abby Finkenauer and say, you can do more. Yeah. Very good. Okay. So uh, just to wrap it up real quick, uh, the Extinction Rebellion coming to the U.S. Uh, There was the Beatles invasion years ago. Here's the next uh, wave of British invasion. This one's more important. This one's more important. And maybe not as well received. Uh, probably not. Probably not going to be on Ed Sullivan's but show. But do you think it'll be effective here? That's uh, the bottom line. Will, 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 this have, will this have the impact that is needed? It has to be effective. The math is clear that if we fail to act, all we're going to do is doom the future for those who follow us. And so this will succeed. It's a matter of will it succeed in time to allow us to effectively uh, prevent the harshest impacts that are certain to come. Channing, thanks for joining us. Folks, we've been talking with Channing Dutton here in the Fallon Forum. We're going to take a short break here to hear from some of the uh, sponsors of Lorena, 1260 AM and 96.5 FM. And when we come back, we'll, uh, we'll talk with Sheila Canopadole about an initiative here in the, at the local level to make a difference on climate. Back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Welcome back, folks, to the Fallon Forum. This is Ed Fallon, your host here, broadcasting from Lorena, 1260 AM and 96.5 FM in Des Moines, Iowa. Okay, so I want to take a second to thank some of our local business partners, including Gateway Marketing Cafe, located at 20th and Woodland in the Sherman Hill neighborhood. That's my grocery store and a fantastic place for breakfast, lunch, and supper, open seven days a week. They've also got a great catering service. That's Gateway Marketing Cafe. Thanks also to Sergeant's Garage, located at 6th and College, north of downtown Des Moines. That's Sergeant's Garage. Also, thanks to Ritual Cafe, located on 13th Street between Locust and Grand, Fair Trade Coffee, Fair Trade Tea, and an all-vegetarian menu. That's Ritual Cafe. And thanks to Story County Veterinary Clinic, where Dr. Kim Holding has been taking care of creatures large and small for over 30 years. Give her a shout. That's Story, Story County Veterinary Clinic. And finally, thanks to Cinco de Mayo Restaurant, located on Southeast 14th Street, authentic Mexican food at very excellent prices with fantastic service. And, of course, Cinco de Mayo, the holiday coming up. Always a good day to hang out at Cinco de Mayo Restaurant, but, hey, especially on the uh, day itself. Okay, so welcome back again to the Fallon Forum. In this final segment of the show, we're going to look at some local action on climate change. With me in the studio is Sheila Canopodole. Uh, an attorney and also a nonprofit activist, shall I say? I would say activist. activist. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, um, and you've, you've been working with a, a coalition for several years now, this effort to try to get the city of Des Moines to take more, a, a more aggressive stance on addressing the climate change crisis. Right, that's right. Um, I volunteer with the Des Moines Citizen Task Force on Sustainability and... Um, We are working to help the city of Des Moines right now. We're working on an ordinance that is coming up for its first reading a week from today, which is next Monday, at the regular city council meeting. And this ordinance is um, very much related to climate change. Uh, It's a benchmarking ordinance um, requiring large buildings above 25,000 square feet to start measuring and uh, inputting their energy and water usage data into a software um, called Portfolio Manager. And then we, once we start tracking the usage, the energy and water usage of these large buildings, we can figure out which ones are the least efficient in uh, energy and water usage and target them for energy efficiency repairs. Um, This is part of an overall effort for the city of Des Moines to reduce its greenhouse gas emissions and do their part in um, being active on climate change. Right. And it's 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 commendable, but it also seems like a very small incremental step at a time when incrementalism no longer seems to be what we need. Right. It, it you know, it is it is the first step. Um, so in that way, I think it's really encouraging. Des Moines is actually trying to do something, which, you know, a lot of cities aren't. But, um, but there are a lot of cities around the country that are doing things. That's true. Yeah. That's true. And, and we and fairly aggressive stuff, too. 
That's true. And we would like to have this be the first leg of a climate action plan. Mm-hmm. Um, and right now, uh, you know, there's been some pushback in the community trying to uh, give this ordinance less weight. Who's been pushing back? Well, you know, property managers, uh, business owners, they are concerned, and I suppose rightly so, that they're going to have to invest in their buildings and make them more energy efficient. But, you know, they keep forgetting that that benefits everyone, including them, because, um, you know, you create a more efficient building. There's a lot of research that shows that you get uh, better tenants, you get better rent, uh, you lower your overall operating costs. Um, you also, if you're, uh, if it's be- being rented to, say, a small manufacturer, um, they benefit because uh, the cleaner air, the better environment. And this wouldn't affect uh, homeowners specifically, just uh, commercial buildings. That's correct. Okay. Right now it's targeting commercial and multifamily residential. So some of our larger apartment complexes would be included in this. And, you know, in that way it helps people who are on a limited budget because if their buildings are more energy efficient, their utility bills are going to be lower. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, And it has the support of some on the council, I understand, correct? It does. Um, right now, of course, Mayor County has been supportive. Uh, Bill Gray has been a real advocate, as well as uh, Josh Mendelbaum. Um, some of the other council members have not... Um, have not indicated, you know, what their what their position is yet. So we've been having discussions with the council members and try to trying to educate them and give them as much information as we can. Now, sometimes the best way to get politicians to respond to a problem is to have something so catastrophic happen that you can't ignore it any longer. And that happened in Des Moines last year, June That's- 30th of 2018, when a, a, a ten-inch rainfall that fell faster and harder than any we can remember absolutely overwhelmed the stormwater system to the point where you know these these very large uh, pipes could not handle the deluge, and you had streets that were flooded with water as deep as eight feet. Right. You had people who, uh, in their cars, suddenly found themselves underwater, underwater, having to get out through the window and swim. To quote shore, meaning their yard. Right. I mean, I know I've talked to people for whom that was the case. Right. And there was, of course, one guy, and this is a little close to home, a radio broadcaster, who died. Right. Right. So you know, it, it finally it it has accelerated the rate at which Des Moines is upgrading its stormwater sewer system to accommodate for this climate impact. But again, it's one small piece. Right. And there are there are a lot of different pieces, I think, to this climate puzzle. There's a lot of different. Um, there's a lot of different ways in which we can have effects. You know, uh, speaking of the flood, like you said, over 2,000 homes were damaged, you know. And in some ways, the city was caught with our pants down, not because they were negligent, but because this was so unexpected and so mm-hmm. unprecedented. Yeah. But this is going to be happening more and more. And so we we have to be proactive. And I think this ordinance that's coming up next Monday is, again, it's going to be that first step. So we need folks to come out and be supportive of so it. So if and you're in the Des Moines uh, listening area, or specifically, actually, if you're in Des Moines, because I'm, I'm assuming the city council, uh, members of the city council really don't care what somebody from, say, West Des Moines thinks. <laughs> well, maybe <yeah>. not. <laughs> but still, it would, be, it would be good for anybody to come. Absolutely, because this this is a kind of this is a part of an approach that could be adopted elsewhere. Absolutely, and I would say, you know, in terms of like a, someone from outside of Des Moines, you know, this is a regional problem. It has to be solved regionally, and if if Des Moines can lead, that would be great. But you know, they. I think it's important for politicians, regardless. I think if mm-hmm. you have one in front of you, you need to take advantage of that moment and talk to them about something that's important to you. Isn't a big part of the climate problem at the local level the fact that uh, that that, that, uh, that transportation is an almost entirely car-centric? I mean, we do have a free bus line in Des Moines, and then we have a bus system that has improved, but it's still, you know, it would take me two or three times as long to get somewhere by bus as it does by bicycle. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, that's that's ridiculous. Right. Absolutely. Uh, and, and so it seems like that, that has to be a part of the conversation. How do we, how do we stop the uh, – our, our, our 
what decades long habit of trying to uh, trying to increase uh, traffic capacity. How do we? What do we do to well, push back against parking lot expansion? I mean, par- right. Well, and but you know, um, some of that has already changed with the the updated. Um, uh, code, zoning code. You know, um, the city has looked at uh, shared parking spaces, and I agree. And, uh, you know, we've got a long-term uh, transportation plan that is looking at these things. And, you know, absolutely, um, we that's a piece of the puzzle. And, you know, if we go to electric cars, we, are, we need more infrastructure. And these, you know, I think this has been, this has all been part of our discussion. But, you know, just to get back to the ordinance, buildings make up 43% of energy usage, you know, in this city. And is, these, that, is that pretty common in cities around the country? I think so. It's, yeah. you know, 40. Maybe, maybe higher maybe as you go in further some, north. Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. so this is a big, and by targeting the largest buildings, we, we get the low-hanging fruit. Because while buildings above 25,000 square feet only make up 1% of all buildings in Des Moines, they um, they use thirty five percent of the energy. No, no, I'm sorry. They they make up thirty five percent of the total square footage. So by addressing them, we're actually mm. addressing a large chunk of so the square footage. So one percent of the buildings are mm-hmm. above twenty five hundred, twenty five right, twenty five right. hundred, twenty five thousand, thousand, yeah, yeah, twenty five thousand. Uh, but they make up thirty something percent of the actual square, square footage. footage yeah. Right. So uh, if we can make those buildings energy efficient and bring down their energy and water usage. And even just by tracking it, um, other cities have found that improvements start to happen mm-hmm. because now people are aware, right. you know. But we want it to be more than just that. It has to be more than just tracking. It has to be actively um, uh, every five years. Uh, the buildings uh, above, right now, buildings above 50,000 square feet every five years are subject to a, um, a follow-up where, you know, somebody has to uh, um, um, validate their performance uh, numbers and stuff. And then every 10 years, I think we're looking at, and I I don't have this in front of me, so I may be misstating it, but um, doing retrofits and that kind of thing. Again, it's a commendable step. Mm -hmm. It is... An incremental step at a time when we need to move really, really quickly. Mm-hmm. So what, let's assume you get this passed. Mm-hmm. What's the next step? Well, um, I think, you know, it, I don't know. I guess it, it's going to be up to people to speak up what, what they want the next step to be. We definitely need to deal with the, um, the flooding situation. And so I think we need to sort of, we need to map, and maybe that's the next step. We need to map neighborhoods that got flooded and the low-lying places. And then we, we go upstream and start uh, doing more uh, on-site um, infiltration projects upstream. But, but some of this isn't a matter of being upstream. It's being... Uh it's all it's all straight from the clouds, right? Absolutely, <laughs> this, this, and the, that that rain that hit last year was unprecedented, right? And as you said, we're probably going to see more of that, and probably even worse because right. that's that's what the climate models have been predicting. Their predictions so far have been accurate, except for the problem that they haven't come. The, the predictions have been been coming quicker, more mm-hmm. more quickly than right, they right, faster than we ever yeah. anticipated. And you know, I was on a, I did a webinar recently on resilience, and um, it was with Richard Heinemann of the Post Carbon Institute. And you know, we have to go through just a vast transition on so many different levels. It's hard to know where to direct your energy yeah. and your focus and attention. And you know, I think everybody has to. Um, find the place where they can plug into and, you know, push collectively right. toward that bigger picture. And I, th- I, think, uh, I think transportation is key, as I mm-hmm. said. Uh, and and, and uh, you know, I believe there's lots of options that mm-hmm. we, we become so used to a, a, a transportation system almost entirely dominated by cars mm-hmm. that we can't think outside of that. But I think there's plenty of options there. But I think another key point is uh, – and this this gets to reducing carbon emissions and preparing for the inevitable changes coming our way. And that's our food system. Mm-hmm. Most of our food comes from 1,500 miles away. Right. Most, the average item on your plate travels over 1,000 and a half miles to get here. Right. That doesn't have to be the case. No. But some of the ordinances in Des Moines would need to change to support people doing more local food production in their yards, in their communities, in vacant lots. 
You know, we have we have we have lots of capacity for growth. Absolutely. In terms of food production. Absolutely. And I would hope that as this becomes more and more apparent, because one of the things that we're not really talking about yet um, in terms of climate change is is the um, supply chain disruption. Whether it's right. food or it's huge. fuel or it's, you know, water. water or it's tools that you need or it's seeds that you need. Uh, we we are going to need to transition to a, a more localized economy just for just to create some stability. And that includes growing our food, food close to home. Um, I believe I heard that somewhere that Des Moines really needs to be growing right now 40% of the food that we consume, you know, within like a 50-mile radius. Part of the problem there is you, you can't take an empty lot and immediately turn it into something productive. Expe- especially if that lot's been been damaged over the years through sure. development or who knows what. If you're looking at just a, a, a bunch of hard packed clay, you're not going to grow vegetables from that. It takes time. It takes, right, but takes you could effort. also do raised beds. You right, know, but then you still then the, then the soil and the compost right. has to come from somewhere. Right, absolutely. You know? Yeah, there's a lot of um, repairing of the soil that needs to happen, even yeah. uh, in our farmland as well. And as you um, said, as you as you noted too, that where do the seeds come from? How do you irrigate mm-hmm, these gardens, mm-hmm, you know, these, right. these, these plots? Well, and one of the things that I think, you know, will give Iowa a bit of a, um, a breather is that we will have water, you know. Yeah, more than we want sometimes. Pre- well, and that's, <laughs> you know, it, but if there's a lot of, yeah. I wish we um, could send it to some places that need it. Right, absolutely. <laughs> maybe but, take that pipeline that the oil company built and use that to ship it down you to know, Arizona. You know, maybe they're doing us a favor yeah. by we'll just take <laughs> yeah. it over and use it for water. Well, except that it's not going the right direction. No. <laughs> <laughs> well. Yeah. So anyway, I, but, you know, we can grow, you know, we could easily grow all the, all the, all the uh, fruits, vegetables, uh, eggs, mm-hmm. uh, s- small, small Dairy, animals. Meat, we need. Well, absolutely. no, no. I mean, how, that, that, mm-hmm. that was, that was how do you get to the point where a city can raise, can ha- have, has the land available to raise grain crops mm-hmm. or meat or dairy? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that, 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 that's a bigger challenge than yeah, growing fruit and Yeah, well, vegetables. you know, one of the things um, in some of the research that I've done in the past, because, you know, I do have a little bit of background on food systems, um, in the early 1900s, the average Iowa farmer was raising 34 items for market. Right, right. And now they raise one or two. And But, you know, what we lost as well as that diversity of, of food production, we lost all of the infrastructure of preserving right. and canning and the, the yeah. local dairies. And so we need to find a way to bring some of that back. Now, you know, our um, our neighbor to the south here coming, they're talking about doing an agrihood. And I think that's a great idea to explore. It's a new development that is it, a rather than, on food Right, production. exactly. Rather so, yeah. than being developed around a golf course. Uh, it's developed around an organic, you know, right. a sustainable food farm. More, yeah, so those sort of things are happening elsewhere in the country as well. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And you know, I think we 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 continue to see growth in um, sustainable farming and young people. The the challenge is always, you know, getting land into the hands of the young people who want to do that kind of farming. Um, but yeah, it's going to be. And you know, another thing that we're not talking about is being inundated with climate refugees. Yeah, so a lot of them from within our own borders. I with mean, it, exactly. South Florida. South exactly. Florida has no viable future in it the doesn't. New climate era. It They're really have doesn't. To go somewhere. Right? And, you know, some of them will get swept out to sea, but a lot of them, the vast majority will be getting right. will be coming <laughs> I inland. Hope you're wrong on that. But, yeah, uh, well, I hope so too, but yeah. you know, uh that uh that uh what was it the um the Christmas Day thing in Indonesia. Do you know the – was it a typhoon? No. What's Santa the? Claus ride a typhoon into Indonesia? <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, yeah. no, no. The, when, the, when there's an earthquake in the, the tsunami. ocean. The tsunami. tsunami yeah. Thank you. I yeah. couldn't remember. When there's a – you know, that tsunami took 300,000 people out to sea. Wow. Yeah. So we're going to see some – I don't think a tsunami is likely in Florida's future. 
a hurricane would do the well, same thing. Certainly, are yeah. You yeah, know, it's those yeah. surges, yeah. right? Yeah. And during Sandy, they said with every with every what was it one foot above uh, sea level for the surge, it affected a hundred thousand people. They yeah. had a nine foot. Wow. Surge. Well, you know, and here in Iowa, we, we have climate refugees right here in Iowa, right. of course, with the mainstream media ignoring the fact that that the uh, flooding in southwest Iowa has anything to do with climate change. Mm-hmm. A lot of people haven't made that connection, but we have people who are who are basically they're not going to be able to live in the town that they right. used to live in, whether it's right. Hamburg or Pacific Junction. Some of those towns, their homes are no longer viable. And right. I know I know some who are just moving to higher ground. Right. And, you know, if we can provide them with energy-efficient buildings to come to, Mm. then the impact on them and on our planet, you know, is better. And a better water system and And a a local and resilient food system. And a water system that takes a lot of energy, too. So, yeah, then this is is commendable work you're doing. And I know, again, this is work that's happening around the country. And, folks, if if you live in a town where something good like this is happening, share with us. Uh, It's a good... Uh, it's a good comparison to the total lack of action at the state and federal level, and we need to right. be, we need to be holding up the good examples of what people are doing in their local communities. Right, so, because we the impact is local. Yeah, you know? so real quick again for those who are in Des Moines. When and where is this meeting that you're talking about? This is going to be at the regular city council meeting next Monday, April 22nd at 4.30 p.m. Earth Day. Earth Day, indeed. Wow, what a coincidence. First reading. Yeah, we're kind of happy about that. what time, 4.30? 4.30. And what's the location? City Hall. And that's Des Moines, downtown Des Moines. That's that's the the old stone building. Right. That's that's the building right on the river? Yep. Okay. Exactly. Gotcha. On Robert Ray Drive. Because I know some of the city fu- uh, functions now happen outside right. of uh, the downtown area. So, exactly. All right. Hey, Sh- uh, Sheila Canopadole joining us here to talk about uh, one local response to the uh, climate crisis. Thanks again for joining us. Thank you very much, Ed. All right, so folks, again, thanks for tuning in to today's Fallon Forum. You can always uh, check out the podcast available after the program on the Fallon Forum website. That's FallonForum.com. Follow us on Facebook. Uh, thanks to the folks here at Lorena, uh, Juan Rodriguez. Thanks to uh, my producer, Ashley Martinez. Thanks to the, uh, the, uh, the additional producer production done by Sherry Hardina. Again, this is Ed Fallon thanking you for tuning in to today's Fallon Forum. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum, and to me, welcome back to Des Moines. I <laughs> was on the road for uh, two weeks. Kathy and I uh, traveled, oh, a great distance, uh, over 3,000 miles, to uh, do uh, presentations and book readings, let's call them, in, let's see, six states. And uh, it went well. It was it was. Uh, it was a grueling experience. And, you know, I always have a hard time justifying burning carbon to go talk about climate change. It's a rub. At least we did it in a Prius, and we got about 50 miles to the gallon. And, I, you know, it's, it's always hard to measure how effective uh, anything we do. We, we, we take these actions, and we don't really see how the outcome plays out. But we have to do. We have to do whatever we can, uh, especially especially at this time, this time of crisis where uh, climate change is, you know, moving out of control quickly, and our window of opportunity to do something about it is closing. So, yeah, I, I, I the trip was definitely worth it. It was absolutely exhausting. <laughs> we met uh, so many wonderful people in all these different states. One of the highlights of the trip was an interview with Lee Camp. Uh, Lee Camp uh, has a program called Redacted Tonight. It's uh, He's got a pretty sizable audience. And uh, I was paired with uh, Matt Taibbi on that uh, that particular episode and talked with Lee about my book, March Your Walker Pilgrim, also about the march itself and about the work we're doing in Iowa on the presidential campaign, uh, bird-dogging candidates to make climate change their top priority. So that was a good conversation, and I'll be posting uh, a link to Lee's program uh, in various places as soon as I can uh, wake up, uh, as soon as I can get, uh, get the rest of the um, inbox emptied out and get that done. I do want to share, again, a lot of good feedback from the people we met along the way. I want to share one message I got just uh, 
after I got back. This uh, a young person I met who was feeling fairly despondent, uh, in fact, uh, was telling me that he didn't see the point in having kids uh, because things were looking so bleak. Well, he wrote to me saying, Ed, I picked up a copy of Marcher Walker Pilgrim at your talk a little over a week ago, and I devoured it, and I'm totally floored. It's wonderful that you wrote it because it could inspire countless people to go many steps further than they currently do in the fight against climate change and help them understand what that fight could look like. Also, fantastic writing. It's filled with deeply poetic and pointed passages. You imagine someone criticizing the book's the book partly the book's partly personal nature in the introduction. Quote, why burden us with tales of juvenile navel gazing and your pathetic love life? But I think that your focus on relationships, from your struggles with past romantic relationships to the surprising tumult among marchers, is actually quite fitting. That's because one man or woman alone cannot end climate change. It has to be a collective effort made through the cooperation of groups and the spread of ideas and actions. If you can't maintain a friendship, you can't maintain 30. And then we can't assemble the army, metaphorically, that needs to be assembled to solve this. And of course, at the heart of the matter is the fight against climate change is love for humanity itself, a desire to maintain for future generations the human experience that we live today. The love we feel toward romantic partners, kin, and friends helps us realize the importance of this goal. Reading your book has inspired me to write about climate change and take larger strides in the fight against it. I don't have any idea what that will look like, and discovering it has been difficult because I don't have a passion for anything, besides perhaps writing, that I think will contribute to a solution. It's already difficult to rally oneself around something as abstract as climate change, and it's especially so when the work doesn't involve the things we're passionate about in life. But I'll be checking out more of the environmental groups in my city and figuring out what could work for me in the long term. Who knows? Maybe I'll start one. It was something else when a book about walking across the entire country on foot featured a bridge over a ravine in a park that I cross every week. I'll be thinking of your marchers as I jog across it once more this weekend, following just for a little while in the Great March's footsteps. Keep fighting. Well, that that uh, that was quite a letter. I, that was moving. I was um, I was well, I was flattered that he liked the book's uh, prose and artistic qualities so well, and I again I. I yeah, I, I, I guess I did sort of apologize for some of the non-climate-related material of the book in the introduction when I wrote, you know, why burden us with tales of juvenile navel-gazing in your pathetic love life? But I think overall, I have had some pushback against those elements of the book, but overall, people have been responsive and receptive and have found that the whole story is more manageable, more readable, more human, if you will, because of those elements. But again, most importantly, I'm really, really moved that uh, this young man is inspired to write about climate change and to take larger strides in the fight against it. And, you know, reading this uh, message, he writes really, really well. He's an excellent writer. And the written word is powerful. I know that in this uh, age of social media and sound, and sound bites and 144 characters, uh, <laughs> it's... You know, the written word is maybe not as powerful as it once was, but it still is. And I'm again, I, I think with this uh, this person's um, ability, I hope he uh, continues to try to find ways of, uh, of um, using his writing skills to talk about climate change. And again, he also talks about joining one or more of the groups that are in his community or maybe even starting one if there's um, none that are happening. So I, yeah, I plan to write him back and say, Thanks. I'm flattered. I'm honored. And uh, let me know what I can do to help encourage you further. So, um, you know, I, I think the bottom line is we are at a point where we have to take action constantly. We have to, our lives have to be committed to this purpose 
Because if we don't figure this problem out soon, if we don't find a way to move beyond fossil fuels, as scientists tell us we have to, if we don't, if we don't head in that direction, ASAP, it may be too late. So we do what we feel called to do. Uh, and we engage the skills and passions that we have in the fight. And we hope that those have an impact. Again, I, I'll bet that this young man, as he starts getting more and more involved, will find out that other skills he has besides writing are very relevant to the work we need to do going forward. You know, early in the program, we talked with Sheila Canopadole about uh, local efforts. And again, I, all over the country, there are things happening. In fact, you know, and again, I know that my previous guest, Channing Dutton, was a little bit um, dis, you know, dis, dismayed about how little is happening. And certainly that's the case at the federal level. And I would say in many states, most states even, at the, at the state legislative level. But you see so many good things happening at the local level. And my hope is that, that these start coalescing into one big movement um, where cities are learning from other cities, counties are learning from other local governments, and are, are, are basically pushing really hard. And again, part of the challenge is people don't want to, uh, people don't want to change because we're comfortable and because we fear change. And even though we know we have to change, it's still difficult to make that transition. I'll give you an example. Um, I, got, I got a local friend here, and uh, Leonard Tinker, and maybe I know, that I, I know one of the stations that rebroadcast this show will be very familiar with the name Tinker. Uh, uh, and maybe most of you might be familiar with the name because uh, a couple of Leonard's siblings are the famous Tinkers in the Tinker versus Des Moines Public School case the black armband case, which set a standard for uh, freedom of expression in schools. So Leonard was talking to a friend of mine the other day, and I've, I've heard him say this to me in so many words, but I think he was maybe even more candid when I wasn't there, although Leonard rarely holds, rarely holds back. Um, he was saying, the problem with Ed Fallon is that he wants to take my truck away. Uh, and I... Uh, <laughs> Having, having been in Leonard's vehicle before, I was, if I'd been there, I would have been tempted to say, yeah, Leonard, I want to take your truck away, but not because of climate change, because of your aggressive driving. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so I, I wouldn't mind taking away his truck for that reason. But when it comes to, quote, taking his truck away to address the climate problem, you know, I, I believe very strongly we have to become less focused on single occupancy automobiles. But there are some cases, many cases, in which we're not going to be able to get away from that. Uh, in the case of uh, you know Leonard, he's a heating and cooling technician. And yeah, he's not going to be able to haul all the stuff he needs to do his work on a bike or on a bus. I get that. But there is a way to fuel that vehicle in such a, in, in a way that it's not going to contribute to the climate problem. We can do that. On the Great March for Climate Action, circling back to that, we had a vehicle that was powered by biodiesel. It was powered by uh, fuel made from grease from restaurants. <laughs> uh, they, were done, they were done boiling fries in oil, and uh, I don't know how many times they do that before they're done with that batch of oil, but that oil became the essential ingredient in powering one of the vehicles on the Great March for Climate Action. And a few, year, a few years earlier, when uh, Denise O'Brien ran for Secretary of Ag in Iowa, uh, and Denise and her husband Larry Harris are, 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 lead, are, are, are farm leaders in this state. They have been leading the way on progressive change in agriculture for a long, long time. Denise ran for Secretary of Ag, and her campaign vehicle was fueled entirely by that type of biodiesel. You know, so my message to Leonard and anyone else who are concerned that, quote, we're trying to take away their trucks, no. We're just trying to get you to fuel it in a different way. And again, I know that's not easy because we tried to do that with the 35-foot the straight truck that hauled our gear on the climate march. And try as we might, we weren't able to pull that together fast enough. There are costs, there's time, there's a learning curve, 
there's the raw product to find. So yeah, I know that there are challenges, but I also know that we can do this. And again, I'm, I'm hoping more and more people decide as they're able that there are better ways to get around than always driving. But I, again, I also to be very clear, there are folks who are going to need to do that for one reason or another. But we're not trying to take your vehicles away. We're just trying to get you to fuel those vehicles in a manner that is consistent with what science tells us we have to do to maintain a healthy, sustainable, and livable planet. I don't think that's asking too much. And again, I, I know that it's going to be a tough transition. I know it might cost people something. I also know that government needs to step forward and to try to do as much as possible to minimize the impact of that transition. But we need to do this together. You know, we all need to make changes. We all need to make sacrifices. And in the end, not only do we continue to have a planet we can call home, but we have a better life, uh, a more sustainable future, a healthier future. There's good at the end. The, 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 light at the, the light at the end of this tunnel is encouraging. We've just got to get through the tunnel. Let's do that, folks. Let's start today. This is Ed Fallon, your host on the Fallon Forum.